Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. Esri Kanza is the best defender, best English defender in the league. He has to be in the team. Like, there's this thing whenever a player is playing for a club like Aston Villa, they have to pay their dues. They have to be incredible for three seasons in the Premier League. Like, it's just it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to any sort of reasoning. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And Do not underestimate just how bad Aston Villa have been for a long time now. That's now 10 games in which Villa have failed to score more than one goal. Ten games, six goals. If you take it post their COVID outbreak, and I don't even use that as an excuse, I just use it as a, a clear timeline or a clear point on the map that we can reference. The 13 games since then, 15 points in 13 matches, 24 points dropped. Villa have been awful. Like, there's no other word for it. Even the matches that they were winning... We said it all along, they haven't been good. And like, I will call out some of these games and people will recognise just how bad Villa have been post-COVID. Man City, no, fair enough, they got unlucky off their bad start. I get it. They got unlucky, but they were not good. They were they were hammered in that match. But that was, that was the best of it when they had 20% possession. Newcastle was Newcastle. They won that match. And then Burnley, Shambles, Southampton probably the worst they had been all season until some of the other games that followed. West Ham at home lost 3-1. Arsenal were Arsenal. Brighton, worst performance of the season. The Leicester game, not good without Greatish. They they were good in the second half. Maybe, you know, I'm starting to talk myself back into this, Liam. (laughs) But then we just have an onslaught of pitifulness. The Leeds game, the Sheffield United game, the Wolves game, the Newcastle game, and now the Spurs match. Like I say, 10 matches and they haven't scored more than one goal. They've got six goals in that period. And like, whatever you think about 
Jack Grealish not playing. And you and I have, you know, proven ourselves to be Jack Grealish's biggest fans. Like, so we know what a big blow that is. But if this was any other team, if this was Newcastle playing the way Villa are playing right now, like, we would be poking fun at how shit Steve Bruce's team is and how bad the setup is. Like, Steve Bruce doesn't have Jack Grealish either. You know, <laughs> Villa don't have him. And this is this is what they're serving up. Absolute tripe. They can't they can't even make a a pass to set up a half a chance. It's it's unbelievably bad, and it's been like this for thirteen games, which is a big big chunk of the season. Like, you know, I, I don't want to get into that argument again. Is, is it a good season or is it a bad season? But all I know right now is that Villa have been on a downward trajectory for a long time, and there's no sign whatsoever of it getting any better. Yeah, it's, it's relegation form. We're better towards the back end of last season than we currently are. Yeah, Forwards aren't good enough. The, the whoever he's picking in behind Ollie Watkins, they're just not performing. And tonight was a big, big opportunity. I mean, we needed to take advantage of how much of a mess Spurs were tonight in the first 30 minutes and over the last couple of games. Particularly early on in that match when we were dominating them. And I know we weren't exactly in a good place ourselves. You've just reminded us all there. You've listed it off. But I can absolutely guarantee you that Dean Smith is in fostering a fucking toxic cesspit like I know Jose Mourinho is. We had to go after him and we had to have some sort of a cutting edge. We had to have a fucking shot. Yeah. And what you definitely don't do is dominate the game for 30 minutes and create fuck all until you create a series of cock-ups that completely lets him off the hook. And Hans Mourinho, the only game plan he has... Wait for the other team to make a mistake and counterattack them. Hands him that on a fucking platter. Serve a glass of 59 Dom Perignon. <laughs> Here you go, sir. Enjoy. I know you will. It's your fucking favourite. That is his game plan. Wait for the other team to make a mistake and hook, line and sinker. Here are two massive blatant mistakes and you can have the game and the most comfortable points you're going to get all season. It's, it's a loser mentality that Aston Villa have. It's like... That game is dead after 70 minutes. Like, we, we, we know that Villa don't come from behind anyway. So we all knew once they went 1-0 down, it was over. Like, that's bad enough that we know that. But I mean, the game is physically over after 70 minutes. Villa, honestly, must be the worst team for a neutral to watch right now. Like, there's just no fight, no urgency, no plan B like we always talk about. They never look like they're ever going to get back into the game or harbour any ambitions of doing that. The players... The players have this awful habit as well. So obviously they're culpable in that the game has just died and they've given up. But then, as much as every player out for themselves, it's so weak that they're out for themselves that they're they're just looking for a little freeze so that they can get a break or that they can be removed from any possibility of making another mistake. So they're winning these nothing freeze that we don't need and they're buying them. And it's, you know, again, it's just that loser mentality of trying to sort of not be the next player to make a mistake. And also, like, just the third point in all this, they're so peripheral. You're touching on it. Like, you know, the very worst of the Louis van Gaal regime, when obviously everyone's watching every Man United game and they were going around the outside against these teams that were that were sitting deep. Villa! Like, the crosses aren't even good. Like, they... they they cannot get inside and they won't try it. Like we can go back to the difference between Grealish and the rest of the team, but everybody is just 
going around the outside doing absolutely nothing. And I honestly haven't seen a team less threatening than this Villa team right now. They're, they're playing with an unbelievable amount of fear. And that that is hard to take, especially because, because Dean Smith allows people to play without fear. He encourages it. He wants people taking risks. So that just tells you about the quality of these players and where they are mentally, what their mental fortitude is like, that they can't take a risk, even though they're encouraged to do so. The buying the freeze, there was one towards the end of the game where Ross Barkley gets fouled, he gets tripped, and he kind of stumbles over the ball, but he gets back up, and then he decides, actually, I don't want this, and he kind of falls back down. He's free, he's gone. Yeah, Like, the Spurs player thinks he's given away a free. Barkley can play on, and he just doesn't. This is our number 10 running through the middle of the pitch, and he doesn't want to do it. And that just summed up Villa tonight. Just didn't want to be involved. And the first goal probably summed it all up. It starts with Trezeguet not being able to get hold of a ball and then fouling someone because he's obviously not able to tackle. Like, I, I, I can't... This man is... This man's a liability. He's too... He's too up for it. He's just running into everyone. He can't control where he's going. He can't control his speed. His sense of direction is appalling on the ball and off the ball. And he's just charging into opposition players, conceding fouls to a youth team centre-back who's playing right-back, and then letting Spurs come up the pitch and get a goal. Now, Clamity errors, a bad pass from Martinez, who doesn't need to come out for a start. Actually, Konza, for the ball over the top, is a bit slow when he sort of lost his bearings. Martinez's pass out is bad. Cash is on his heels and falling asleep, and he's slow to react. Um... And then Martinez does not need to concede. He doesn't need to commit himself at the near post where Lucas can't score from. He's got two centre-halves sliding in and his angle's already so narrow and Martinez comes out anyway and tries to block a shot that he doesn't take and he plays it across. It's a it's a decent pass from Lucas, but actually it was the only option he had because of what the, the three Villa players, that axis that we talked about being so important was. And like yeah, that that summed it all up, and that was the winning of the game essentially. Regardless of the penalty, Villa wouldn't have gotten back into it anyway. Yeah, it's it's shite for Martinez initially. Kanza's flat-footed and half-hearted, and he's attempt to block it. You're right. Three players go out to a stretching Mora, like he's on the byline and he's stretching for the ball. That makes his mind up for him. It makes his job very easy. And one of those players is the fucking goalkeeper. <laughs> it just leaves the goal free. It's it's just a calamity of shit play from players whose heads were all scrambled just because of one misplaced pass. And just because Trezeguet can't just put pressure on a right-back, a centre-back playing right-back, he has to just barge into him and concede the free and let them up the pitch. The second goal... No, actually, that first goal as well. What what, what was Gary Neville looking at? And whoever was commentating alongside him? Like, did, did you hear them talking about Harry Kane for about... Nine minutes afterwards, just a fucking loving. They were talking about his eye for the final pass. It was Lucas who played the final pass. <laughs> and they were talking about the quality that he has to do it. And this kept going. Like, and how instrumental he was. All he did was play the ball back to Lucas, who cut the ball out, ran forward, gave it to Hurricane, took it back off him, and then set up the goal for Vinicius. Like, and like that brings me all nicely to Kane because the penalty incident, you know. The bottom line is Matt Cash has conceded another penalty that he doesn't have to concede. He's put himself in that position yet again. Like the remember the Southampton one that he got away with, and you and I were arguing about it. The the bottom line of that is like why why is he putting himself in that position? And here we are again. This time he's he's punished for it. But 
there's no getting away from Harry Kane being an absolute prick. Like this guy, I I can't stress enough just how big of a prick he is, and it is compounded because of the the Gary Neville loving in real time, and then afterwards like, these boys are parodies of themselves now. Jamie Redknapp and Paul Merson, you know, calling them cl- clever and wily, and like Kane is a player who dives. Kane is a player who elbows people. Actually, he dives incessantly. He elbows people in the jaw when they're not looking and they've cleared the ball. He's almost broken a couple of opposition players, even colleagues, peers, necks, because he's backing into them and hoping that they fall on their heads and he can win a handy free kick. He lies about when the ball is out of play. You know, it's not out of play and he's roaring that it is. That is just... Like that's actually the worst of them all because <laughs> it's just so morally wrong and it's weak and it, you know it's let's play by the rules like you know let's, let's play inside the lines can we at least have that as the base level Harry Kane just wants any advantage he can get he tells the team then he, he's pernickety stands over the ball tells them to go back three meters when they have a free kick in the middle of the goals so he's annoying as well and he, he won that free and you know he won the penalty and unfortunately Cash was all too willing to give it to him like I think you're being overly harsh on Matty Cash, <laughs> not Harry Kane. <laughs> Matty Cash is moving in a straight line. He's not moving towards Kane. Harry Kane, who no longer has the football, <laughs> he's run away from it. He's let it run out of play. And then he's run into Matt Cash, who's lying prone on the ground. It's it's not a penalty. And do you know what else it isn't? It's not fucking clever from Harry the Golden Boy Kane. It's fucking stupid from Mike Dean. And it's cowardly from whoever's watching fucking replays of it. And doesn't have the balls to tell Dean he's made a tit of himself. And whenever Harry Kane takes a heavy touch, plays the most obvious one-two in the world, and plays it too late, and overhits it, but gets away with it because Mora is fucking rapid. <laughs> we don't have to pretend he did something good. It's Harry Kane. He'll do something class in a second. Yeah. You don't have to pretend that everything he does is brilliant. Whenever Gary Neville is listing off Spurs' embarrassing riches of attacking options, <laughs> compared to slagging off Villa, essentially, he named Kane twice. He's not that fucking good, Gary. Relax. <laughs> he was oh, he was getting interviewed at the end of the match. Good old Jeff Shreves, just tossing up softball after softball. You've got your unity back. Is it all about trying hard? Talking. The only interesting thing that happened in that match was Kane winning the penalty. How does Shreve set that up? You were involved in both goals. Tell us about that. Like, you control the narrative, Harry, because I'm not a fucking journalist. I'm not a fucking interviewer. Kane even reminds him of it. He gives him an opening. It's like, he says, oh yeah, it was a rash tackle and I stuck it away. It's like, jump in there saying, do you really think it was a rash tackle? I mean, you did just kind of move in towards him after he let the ball go out of play. It's not that rash. He was just blocking a cross that never came because you missed the ball and then stepped over the top of him. But no, he just lets it go. Thanks, thanks, Harry. <laughs> Bonker. Well, the less said about Jeff Reeves, the better. But yeah, w- w- what stage do you look at Harry Kane just essentially kicking Matt Cash with his right foot? You know, when the ball is five meters behind him and he just steps steps into him, like you know, like again, yet again, he, Harry Kane doesn't care, but he can. Uh, he can stand on him in that case. You know, he didn't. But I still think Cash doesn't need to put himself in that position. But, yeah, like like I say, Kane is a prick. And the more that it's talked about, the better. Because 
it is like I felt like it was turning a little bit, you know, because you're seeing social media coverage now. You'll often hear people talk about the media don't call it like it is with Harry Kane. Well, like there's thousands of people calling him out for it on social media. No, it is frustrating that legacy media or traditional media maybe aren't even just uh, it, you know, they, they aren't even having a look at it or or, or even sensing what's going on. Like the I, I was shocked like match of the day last week when Harry Kane. I forget who he elbowed in the Arsenal game. And they didn't, they didn't even show it. Like the, Match of the day could have covered that so softly to say, you know, what what do you think of this? But they didn't even show a replay of it. And they would have seen, like, there, there's researchers and producers in Match of the day. Don't tell me that they didn't see the shitstorm that was happening all day before before they went live, essentially, on, on Match of the day that night. Everybody was talking about this. It served up in the biggest show on BBC that night. And... It's not even mentioned, not even one little replay. And this is, yeah, a king is a big enough prick as it is, but these people certainly don't help his cause, like, you know, liberating him and glorifying him every time he does this. They're actually, he's cheating. He cheats. <laughs> he, he risks people's health and all he gets is rewarded for it. Why wouldn't he do it? But you know, the worst thing about it is that they all know it is as well. Every, all four people, the commentator, Gary Neville, Jamie Redknapp and Paul Merson were all uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah. Because they knew how it had to be called. And they all kind of stopped and said, and then just went for it's clever. (laughs) It's clever from Kane. You all know what happened there. Harry Kane runs into somebody to win a penalty. And Mike Dean goes for it. That's what happened. Just say that. You don't have to call him an arsehole. That's fair. Leave that to us. But it's clearly <laughs> devious from Harry Kane at best. To call it that. Let's do WhatsApp winges. Do you know what the worst thing about missing Jack Relish is? Nobody else will go and take the fucking throw-in off the thrower. <laughs> of all the things to be missing Jack Relish about, that's the worst. And it sums I, up. It sums up the loser mentality of these boys. I think the worst thing about Jack Grealish being injured is we get to see his fucking dress sense. <laughs> I like it. He's a millionaire. <laughs> More money than sense. Like, yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, well, like, the, but this is the thing. This, this, this is all what it comes back to. The way Villa were tonight, just nobody wanted the ball. Nobody wanted to do anything. They were just all acting like cowards and it was so depressing and so pointless to watch I, I, to be honest I don't even want to get bogged down in the Grealish stuff because it's it's upsetting like that's the like that's the worst of it all like you know it's not even that I'm bored talking about Grealish being missing because you know it is boring how, <laughs> how black and white Villa are really good when he's there and they're really shit when he's not there but you've gone from having the best player in every match to having Trezeguet. Like, you know, it's a, like, Grealish controls the games. We're going to get into how, how like, naive it is a Villa probably. They're trying to play the same way without Grealish. But, like, it's so much fun watching Jack Grealish play. It is terrible now watching Villa. Like, it's so boring. At least when they were playing bad with those games that Grealish was playing. Grealish was still playing. You know, he could do something with it. He, he, he always created a chance. He could, 
it was fun. Like I say, it was exciting, enjoyable. This is, this is Brock. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it didn't matter how we were playing. Jack Release was on the pitch, and there was always something a little bit exciting that could happen. When Jack Release gets the ball, you're just more interested in the world. Like it's yeah. just, it's just a better place to be. <laughs> But now, whenever whenever Trezeguet gets the ball, like he might as well go for a nap, because nothing's happening. Like he's just, he just doesn't have it. Like, and God love him. Like you're slagging him off for trying so hard, but like Christ, am I? He has to try because he must know that he's not good enough at this level, and that's the best thing he can give us. And it's a lot, and it's admirable, but oh, it's just not the same. It's it is just so pointless. He gets the ball and he's going nowhere. Well, Nothing interesting is going to happen. Let me yeah, let me just squeeze in the second WhatsApp wins because it's it's obviously about Trezeguet, and it's to do with the fact that I'm not as enamored with his effort right now. Having watched him again, you know, constantly in the team now, it's like ah, hang on. Is Trezeguet just running around trying to get fit? <laughs> Fucking aimless running and you know do you know what the worst thing about it like i think you called him a headless chicken the last day and it was apt but the worst thing about it now is that like yeah when he has the ball it's it's a train wreck basically it's it's a mess it's carnage but he's forcing people to make shit passes as well because he's so lively and energetic and i'm sure he's roaring mad for everything like people People rush into trying to give him a ball that's never on because he's he's making a terrible run into trouble. And even if they do get it to him, like the proof is in the pudding. His touch is terrible. He takes it in the wrong direction. It's it's just not the player you want to be feeding the ball to. No, he's, he's like I said, he's a he's a waste of time. Yeah, he's making <laughs> shit runs and then not controlling the ball at the end of it. Like what two worst things I can think of for a forward? I I can't. They are, they are them. Have these boys made one tackle that isn't a foul? <laughs> this has come up before, Connor. Genuine question. Like it's getting, it's getting ridiculous now. Like, didn't <laughs> I don't know why uh, Pep Guardiola's teams are accused of making those cynical fouls to get back and set up. Like Villa are just making stupid foul after frustrating foul, and it's incessant. I, I actually, apart from Ezra Konza, I don't remember anybody else making a tackle that doesn't result in a free kick that takes two minutes to hit. Yeah, and Konza doesn't give away fouls because he doesn't normally make tackles. He just eases the forward <laughs> off the ball and just comes strolling back out with it. So nobody in the team can tackle. <laughs> yeah. uh, like it, it's, it's such a bad habit. It, it, it actually shows, it shows the mentality. It shows how lazy they are. And ill-disciplined they are, and just how quick they are, they are to to throw in the towel. Just making these fouls that don't need to be made. Like, fair enough. I don't, I don't mind when you, you can see the foul all the time, but it's when it's all the time, and when the ball is there to be won, especially in the middle of the pitch, the fullbacks having it, and Villa just barge players down and give them exactly what they want. Because the reality is, we've been watching Villa behind for a lot of hours now since January. And when they're behind, they're just giving these fouls nonstop. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I I have a bit of sympathy for them because the instructions tonight would have been to go out and get in Spurs' faces whenever they have the ball because they're not going to be up for it, particularly that back line, which was, which was cobbled together tonight. And maybe that's what it was. Oh, sorry, what, like, they do it all the time. What the fuck? Why am I trying to get them off the hook? They're all pricks. <laughs> yeah. 
fourth WhatsApp wins. Morgan Sanson's touch. What the fuck? Yeah, Sanson started terribly and he went from there. I mean, he was trying things he shouldn't be doing in places he shouldn't be trying them. His touch was terrible. The ball was just bouncing off him. He was dawdling on it. He was Barkley-esque, if we're being honest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Morgan Sanson could have played worse. Remember I had that WhatsApp whinge where it was like, this isn't the French league now, mate. Mm. <laughs> Part of me had that thought, you know, when he was losing the ball in the middle of the pitch because of, of like you say, the ball bouncing off him. But you don't see that. Like, you actually don't see that at this level, like in in football at this level, where a player just can't take a touch in that, not even that tight an area. And like, you know, it's it's... It's like you're watching somebody stepping up to a bigger standard, a higher standard, or a bigger league. But you don't see it because these players are generally, you know, elite in the top bracket in the world. It was it was more like watching a GA player trying to, you know, trying his hand at Sunday League and then realizing, Jesus, I, I, you know, I don't have as much time here as I thought I would. Like, you know, I'm, I'm usually all right at five a side, but now I, I, there's a lot of people around me in the middle of the pitch to... The pitch is shit. There's people coming in, biting my heels. I, I wanted more time. I need more time. Like that, That's what Morgan Sanson looked like tonight. Somebody who just was completely out of his depth, could not take a touch of the ball. And yet, he did a couple of stuff that was all right. And I, I liked that he was drifting sort of all over the pitch, mostly because I didn't see anywhere else that we were going to try and penetrate them. But like that touch was unforgivable. Like The touch in general, I mean. Yeah, he, he was he was absolutely dreadful. He didn't do anything right until the cross he put in just before he got taken off, which he was absolutely begging begging to happen all game. I I thought he I thought he was dreadful. His his touch was it was so laboured and ultimately pointless at the end of it as well. And the worst thing about it was that Koiberg and Indebelli weren't playing at the start. They they weren't there. They weren't interested. They were just yeah. letting Villa run straight at their back four, who were a mess as well. And that just made how Morgan Sanson was playing more unforgivable because Spurs were there to be beaten and we let them off the hook. And Morgan Sanson was a huge part of that. Last WhatsApp winch before we get into the award categories. This right now is the worst Villa team I've seen since 2016. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, uh, it's definitely not as bad as 2016, and we are playing terribly. And it's it's really frustrating because there's a lot of good players dotted around the pitch. Sorry, there's four good players, and then Cash and Target are quite good. It's, it's strange that we're playing quite so badly especially because we started so well and I know Jack Grealish is out but you know the confidence should carry into the other players as well you know they're mid-table in the Premier League they shouldn't be this shit every fucking week it just shouldn't be happening and you said it there 15 points from 13 games that's you know that gets you into a relegation battle luckily enough we picked up a lot of points at the start of the season because that is just not good enough what are they thinking right now? Like, this this must be, like, and it's going to make them play worse, and it probably is the reason that they're getting worse and worse. 
the way they're playing with Jack Grealish must be tearing away, eating at their confidence. Because it's appalling. And I'm actually so angry at them that I don't want to bring Grealish back until they get their fucking acts together. Because it, it's not good enough. You can't, like, <laughs> Grealish is as close to a one-man team as you'll get because Grealish is so good. But these boys are supposed to be decent as well. And like, like you say, he's got some other good players there. What the fuck are they doing? And where, where is their pride? And I have to tell you, it's not getting any better. <laughs> you know, we have to play Spurs again. We still have to play Everton twice. Like this, you know, there's there's a tough running coming, and they're just waiting for Grealish to come back. They might get injured again. Like this is a, this isn't good enough, and it's not acceptable. These boys want to want to be top half players. They need to start playing like it because at the minute they're playing like championship players. Who are waiting for Grealish to come back? Yeah, they are. They absolutely are. And Villa have ten games left now, and seven of them are against the top. What is now the top seven? They, oh. like they're they're in big trouble. Like they could get they could get spanked in every one of those games based on how they played tonight. I mean, Spurs were shite, and they comfortably won the game two 0 That's so depressing. It's it's so depressing that I don't think I want to keep talking about it. Yeah, no that that's the best summary of it. Uh, Spurs were shite because that that actually was triggering me when I could when I could sense that some of the punditry around that game was, you know, Spurs bouncing back. I was like, that's, 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 that's. This is all Aston Villa's doing. Like, you know, wait until the same way, like, you know, Newcastle picking up some points and trying to celebrate at the end of it because they, they got a point off Villa and then they go out and lose 3-0 to Brighton. Just just wait until Spurs aren't playing the worst team in the football league right now. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. I, I burst onto the scene, didn't I? And I was going to be the next best thing. Oh, who, who was it that said? There was an interview somebody recently and they said that he's always positive. It was Mika Richards. Hold on, I played for England at 18. Youngest ever defender to play for England. It was Mika Richards. He was talking on Sky Sports and he said he's always positive. Sometimes you wish he wasn't as positive. Like he almost he said he was too nice. Right. What do you think, Lord? I think Mika Richards should shut the fuck up. <laughs> what the fuck has Mika Richards ever done for Aston Villa? <laughs> Dean, Dean Smith got Aston Villa promoted from 14th in the championship. Mika Richards was just there collecting 40 grand a week while that was all happening. (laughs) He's just brilliant. He's just top. What a guy to work with you are, honestly. The Ronnie Rosenthal Award. Cash trying to pull it back for Trezeguet times two. So um, the first one was that beautiful Bertrand Chirori ball when everyone thought he was going to cross it from the right wing and he just caught it back inside lovely three ball for Cash's run and like Trezeguet is there you know it's not even a big pullback this time all he has to do is look a little bit diagonally and just roll across the turf and Trezeguet's at the edge of the six yard box and instead he tries to get past the two centre halves who aren't marking Trezeguet they're marking Watkins and he tries to get it past the two of them and the first one just 
just hits it out for a goal kick. And the second attempt of that, uh, Cash did see Trezeguet this time, and it was just a terrible pullback. It, it was too too tight to the centre half, who cleared it away. Big chance, and both of them went begging. This is a thing that we all we all struggle with whenever we're playing football. Playing with bad players makes you worse because you don't do the things you should do because you don't trust the shitbag, who in this <laughs> instance is Trezeguet. You don't play passes that you should because you don't think he's going to control it. You don't play passes that you should because you know he's going to miss. That's just what happens. And you always struggle with that yourself. Like, Is it actually the worst thing to do to not play it to him when I know he's going to miss? <laughs> or should I just keep doing the right thing and hope, hope against hope that he will do the right thing and then hope that we'll eventually buy a decent winger in the summer and have somebody that I can pass it back to and I'm not out of practice? <laughs> well, quite fittingly, the third nomination is Trezeguet missing when the ball finally gets pulled back to him. <laughs> Her Morgan Sanson put it on a plate and oh, Trezeguet did his best to connect terribly with it. Yeah, he, he connected terribly with it and the only connection that was worse than that was when it fucking popped back out to Trory. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he couldn't decide what to do. It was like, he was about to have a spank and then he tries to play an absolutely stupid pass to Trezeguet. And it was so stupid that the commentator thought he was trying to place the shot. Yeah. He wasn't. He was trying to pass that to Trezeguet, and he just fucked it up. Target from Bertrand Ferrari's lovely ball to the back post, and Target doesn't shoot, and his his ball across is is awful. Like, it, it's inside. Even even if the defenders didn't cut it out, it was going way behind Watkins. Um yeah, he had to just shoot there or put it into that corridor of uncertainty, but he, he did neither. What he didn't have to do was put in a crunch and tackle on somebody who wasn't there. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck is he doing? What's he <laughs> jumping through the air for a fucking shot? Just run onto the ball and spank it. What are you doing? Get off your fucking arse target. Did you see at one stage uh, Trezeguet was trying to get his feet and... Like nothing was happening. He was off the ball again, running around mad. Like I say, he can't control his intensity and he can't control his direction. And then his legs were up in the air as his as he was like shouldering along the ground. <laughs> it was like he was using his neck to walk. I was like, what the fuck is this boy doing? And he just gets up and starts running again. So I thought he might have been fouled. You know, he just came in the picture and his legs were dangling in there. And it, like, it just summed him up. Like, like what? What is he doing? Uh, that sums him up. The man he uses his neck to walk. <laughs> the last one and the worst one. Barkley, like, what, what are you waiting on? You know, I'll tell you what he's waiting on. He's waiting on the entire Spurs team to come across and block him. Like, you know, even my girlfriend who sat down to watch that six, like, he said that. What, what's he waiting for? It's like, I like, I don't know. He's like, he's waiting for every possible thing to go wrong every time he has the ball. Because yeah. he knows, because he knows it is going to go wrong, and it's because of that mentality as well. Yeah, he's 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 playing like somebody who's who's full of fear now because he knows how shit is. He's just another player that has to stop listening to this podcast because it's not <laughs> doing his confidence any good. It's it's dreadful. He he has to hit that first time because all the Spurs players are drifting back across the box, and there's about to be five of them in front of you. So hit yeah. the fucking ball first time, and if you're not going to hit it first time, roof it. It has to go high. Yeah. It has to. 
There's four players jumping on the ground in front of you. Lift the ball off the ground. Even the touch he takes, he takes the touch and then sort of like sets himself before he runs. <laughs> you know, so I don't even mind him taking the touch if he wants to tee it up and get a better connection. Takes a touch, sort of walks back, gets ready to <laughs> take a run at it. And then eventually about three seconds pass. And like, you're right, five white jerseys just come across and any one of them were going to block it. And, and one of them did. Obviously, they, they had covered every part of the goal by the time he decided to kick it. Um, yeah, Barkley definitely wins this. You like them, we didn't take a 90th minute penalty award. Taking off Bertrand Ferrari and not Trezeguet. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, like, big the big Bertie tea burger was served with extra sauce tonight. But it was. It was delicious. Like, it was it, it was exciting. Uh, there was also a couple of extra slices of crispy bacon fucking fried in <laughs> butter, if you ask me. <laughs> it, he, uh, it was exciting, but it wasn't wasn't always exciting for the right reasons. It was exciting for a neutral, I'd say. It wasn't exciting for me. It was... He did some absolutely incredible things. The pass, a couple of back heels, the pass to Cash, you mentioned that as well. Um, but ah, like he was just too erratic. He was all over the place. And I was surprised that Sanson stayed on rather, rather than Drury coming off. I, I just can't believe that Trezeguet stayed on. It's probably the, the overwhelming point. Like, you're right, I, I wasn't mad upset that Bertrand Trurori came off but I thought it was one of his more it felt like it felt like I hadn't had a burger in a while and now I could go for it you know I could I could enjoy it a bit more but it, just the fact that Trezeguet was so bad and and so erratic and, and like I say running around on his neck and getting in the way making fouls making people play bad passes that were never on in the first place and like you know when he did get it like, there was that one. Did you see? Like, I didn't even have it down in the Rossenthal Award because it wasn't that big a chance because his touch was... The one that he was off, there's two of these occasions. He was offside, I think. I think McGinn played a ball over the top and he's through. He's offside anyway, but he chested straight in into trouble. Like, he's through in goal. Like, he's looking at the goals and he chested over to the right-hand side so somebody can take it off him. Mm. And similarly, his touch, when he, he teed it up for his left foot, just looked like somebody... Somebody who tries hard at football but aren't that good, <laughs> you know. And I don't mean a footballer in terms. I mean someone who doesn't normally like they're playing football in PE and they're trying to do the right thing. So he it kicks it on his left and then has to has to run back to get it and then he tries to hook it with his left and he hits it wide and and then he spends the next three minutes complaining about it as if it was a big chance. It wasn't. It was just a waste of everybody's time. You've made it. You've made a good case for it. What's what else is nominated? <laughs> 4-3-3 was out Grealish as well. Um, like, you know, similar to the Liverpool debate, do you know how stupid it is that they're trying to play a high line with with Nat Phillips and Jordan Henderson and now Quebec? They're, they're basically trying to play the same way without Van Dijk and, and Gomez, who, who wasn't that good before he, he got injured, but he has been really good for them. Villa are trying to play a 4-3-3 without the man who makes it possible for them to play any way they want because Grealish controls the game so if you play slow that's great and if you want a bit of thrust Grealish, Grealish is the one who does that like I saw a stat that Villa they're one of the highest anyway in terms of counter-attacks like you know from counter-attacks per game leading to chances 
and that's like you know just direct plays that that last under 15 seconds and it leads to a shot or a touch in the box and that's all because of Grealish essentially Watkins is a big part of it but it's mostly Grealish and now they're trying to play the same way without the the only player who can play that way and like my point at the top it's just baffling that they haven't tried to do anything different it it obviously hasn't been going well for them they're they're getting worse and worse and they're (laughs) they're not creating any chances and the same way i said we would laugh at steve bruce or sean dyche if their teams were playing this way this is how dean smith's team is playing this way now and i i cannot fathom how he's letting it happen yeah, I, I think it's more of a personnel issue, though, because I, I can't see the solution. I don't know, like, what what are people asking for? I mean, he, he stopped playing a number 10. He got rid of Barkley. He doesn't have the players. He doesn't, Behind Ollie Watkins, the players don't exist. They're not there. They're not in the squad. Villa need to sign two or three attacking players in the summer. That is just undeniable now at this stage. I mean, it's been a great a great advertisement for Dean Smith to go into the the board and say I need I obviously need three players like we, we can't score we can't get a shot on against Spurs in the first half Spurs couldn't have played worse than we didn't have a shot never mind on target didn't have a shot players aren't good enough I don't see what the solution is what like what do you want them to play I I want them to try something different because what do you want them to try though you can't like do something different isn't isn't a real complaint that's just whinging like what do you want them to do well, like, go back to four two three one at least. Try that. Try four four two. Like, like even without Grealish right now. Like, do we have to look at? Do we have to look at three five two? Like, you know, do we have to try something? Like, and regardless, like you're right. Like Villa do need more players. We said that at the start all season when it was going well. Like, so that's not lost on me. But, <laughs> but this isn't good enough either. Like if if they have a team right now without Grealish and this is what they're serving up, I would be asking questions of Dean Smith. Like he's got so much credit in the bank that we don't need to go there. But if this was what was being on offer all season, it wouldn't be good enough. Like if you give that team to any other manager, you would expect a bit more. And just because they don't have Grealish right now, I don't know if it's a system change or whatever, but I, I want them creating chances and and they're not doing it. Yeah, they're not creating chances, and that that is a big, big problem. I mean, the fact that Jack Grealish has created as many chances as the next three players in the squad is just <laughs> like I don't, I, I, I hover between thinking that's amazing for Jack Grealish, but it's or is it just shit from the rest of them? <laughs> like it's it's hard to tell which one that is. But he's he's still playing the rest of his players in the positions he thinks they're best at. I mean, if he starts dicking around with that, then I think that that causes questions. Like, what else is he like? He has to play Bertrand Trory in the right wing. He has to play Douglas Louise, McGinn, and Sanson in midfield. That's what he has to do, and he has to play Ollie Watkins up top. He, he can't. He can't just magic different positions for these players. That's where their best positions are. Third nomination. Not playing Matt Cash against Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, he looked rusty. He did. He did look a bit rusty, and you know, the Spurs forward line aren't very forgiving because there's a lot of brilliant players in there, and he he did look rusty. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe he should. Maybe he should have. Maybe he should have given him a 
bit of more time on the grass. <laughs> a, a nice, a nice ease and into it against Newcastle would have been a an easy day out for him. Bringing Ross Barkley on. Yeah, I mean there was a there was a shot of Ross Barkley running back down the tunnel just before he came on, and the commentators like, oh, don't even guess what he's what he's going for there. I mean, he did this last week as well, where he wasn't ready. But why the fuck would Ross Barkley be expecting to come on? Of course he's not ready. He's done everything in his power in the last couple of months to make sure that Dean Smith begs Thomas Tuchel to take him back. Ross Barkley is as shocked as me every time he comes on. Of course he is. He's fucking shite. I am finally at that stage. Now, remember I said I still, I'm still guilty of, of wanting to see him or getting a bit excited. I I shook my head when he came on today. Still had a, like one final little glimmer of light in the pit of my stomach thinking, mm, you never know. And then he just started losing the ball all around him in the middle of the pitch. And just players like running around him, like in a circle around him to get, get by him. Like not even like, you know, nice footwork or anything, just maneuvering themselves around this big plank. In the middle of the pitch, like ah, he's done, and then I, and I'm finally done with him, and now I'm 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 wondering, finally, but after all this time, why do we keep bringing him on? Because like, we know it's not going to work. Exactly, exactly. He, he, he's done, and he's he's a waste. He's a waste of time. It's just it's just like ugh, like okay, yeah, I get it. He's your next option at number ten, so why not try him? Because Sanson's not playing well. But like, I actually wanted Davis to come on there talking about trying different systems. I just thought. That Spurs line or back line are getting away with it this whole game. Just fucking throw Davis on there now. Another option for them to have to think about, to have to deal with. Let's just go two up top, see what happens. Because Davis and Sanchez is a loose cannon. And the rest of the lads don't play in the Spurs back line ordinarily. <laughs> so like, just give it a go. Get him on there, see what happens. And he wasn't too bad when he came on again. But he just doesn't have the quality. Yeah, like yet again, it was like one of those ones where I'm like, oh, you know, Davis has done well, and I'm with you. I I actually wouldn't mind him seeing, or I wouldn't mind seeing him getting a longer run because it it is harsh. He's always just getting four minutes and six minutes, and it's always when the game's over or like yeah. you know, there's one goal in it, and we're not going to get one anyway. And I I just I'm pining, or, or I want I want Villa to think about. Remember when he came back after after lockdown the last time. And or after the, the the pause, the restart, and everyone was was talking about him. Grealish was talking about him. Dean Smith were talking about him. They were saying, "What this guy's been doing a training? Like it is no surprise that he's playing." And he he, he came onto the pitch initially, and he was he was owning it. He was playing like a player who was was dominating in training, and he suddenly had arrived. Like he believes in himself. He was starting to bully defenders. He was he was making something out of shit balls, and. And then his confidence drained because he didn't score any goals and he missed a few big chances. You know, from to go from that and that player who we were all excited about to you know just being resorting to these like two, three minutes and, and twelve minutes tonight, it's it's a bit weird. So I wouldn't mind just seeing him, yeah, getting a bit longer. Not at the expense of Watkins, obviously, but if we're two 0 down after what what was it, fifty odd minutes, like get yeah. him on. It, and it's it's a bit programmatic as well. It's just yeah, twelve minutes to go. Throw Davis on, take Trezeguet off, go to a diamond. <laughs> let, like, let, let's even give him an option when we've got two wingers on the pitch. You know, it's, and you've got two people in the box who are 
big, strong lads toss a few fucking balls in there because we're not playing through the Spurs team. We're not taking any risks. So you might as well just toss the ball into two centre forwards. <laughs> nothing else is working. And then final nomination, just not playing Jack Riddish again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I say, there, there comes a, a point where it's, you know, the risk is worth it because right now we're just losing points. So, you know, we're not getting anything anyway and the season's almost over. And he would have had a nice two-week break if he had to play this match. It wouldn't have fucking mattered. Um, Dean Smith, before the game, announced that he'll be back after the international break. That's for sure. Oh, good. So he's not dead then? <laughs> when after the international break? <laughs> Does that mean the Fulham game or not, Dino? Nah. Dean, like, this is some up Dean Smith. He didn't rule them out yet again of the of the Spurs match. Like, he didn't rule them out of the, the Leeds match, which was the next game after the Leicester match, which he missed. So he was, from the very next game, he's been saying he might be back. And uh, he said he could be back for the Spurs match. But he also could be back for the Fulham match. So he's not even a hundred percent back for the Fulham match. Like he, he couldn't even commit to that. He, he tried to. He said he'd be ninety nine percent sure that he's back for the Fulham match. That's not a hundred percent. So I, I wanted him saying to me, if he's not back for this game, he's definitely back. But no, he couldn't even do that. That's two weeks away. It's two weeks away, and he can't even say he'll be back for them. Unbelievable, heartbreaking. Uh the winner. It's probably bringing Barkley on, like waste of time. Yeah, happy, happy to give as many awards to show on how shit a decision it is to bring Ross Barkley on. <laughs> the Vitamin Meter going down, uh, John McGinn. You know, he either, he either doesn't move on the ball, and <laughs> or when he does move, it's a first touch that takes him straight into somebody else. But not only that. He sprints past that person who cuts the ball out. So he just tries this big, <laughs> this big decisive first touch that's going to take everybody out of the game. And all it does is take himself out of the game. Yeah. There was one really bad one where he just turned or thought he was turning um, in Dombele in the middle of the pitch. And he just, he just passed the ball to Dombele. <laughs> and he just ran straight at the full of back line. Pathetic. Uh, John McGinn is having a dreadful season and people need to start admitting that and a lot of it was to do with the fact that he was playing in a two next to Dougie Louise but even since he's been given the freedom to play as a number eight now he's still he's still been bad and maybe a lot of that is a consequence of not being in form for a long time in the season because yeah. he was playing out of position maybe that's what it is but I don't care what it is the fact is he's been bad all season yeah he's, he's lost his mojo like that's it. He's been he's been bad all season, interspersed with the odd not even a full ninety minutes, but the odd decent game where we were like, oh, he's back, and and also interspersed with a lot of the effort and bite that he gives. The reason why we all like him and the reason why we want him to be good, but definitely he's lost his way. Like he's not he's not breaking lines anymore, and like I'm pointing out that habit that he has of not moving on the ball. Like that's not John McGinn. He's standing over the top of it looking to. Looking to thread a pass to nobody. Like, why would John McGinn be waiting for Trezeguet to move in front of him? To, 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 to do what? Like, even if that pass is good, like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, you're just giving the ball away, essentially. Yeah, move. Like, give it to Trezeguet and go again. Like, the way the, the, I was saying that Sanson did some good stuff and it was moving. Like, I, I want John McGinn picking up those positions. 
getting into the corner of the box, getting to the edge of the box. You know, just just be a bit more lively, but he's he's just planted to the middle of the pitch. Yeah, and like John McGinn trying hard and having a bit of bite. Yeah, great, but he's a fucking centre midfielder. We all need to grow up. A centre midfielder who runs around and tries hard is not good enough yeah. for the Premier League. Like that's that's not what we can should just be asking for. It's the absolute bare minimum. They need to have quality on top of that. And John McGinn hasn't shown any quality this season. Going down, Cash, Trezeguet, Sanson. Don't need to talk about them anymore. Also going down, and the winner of the Ashley Westwood, oh, he was playing award, Douglas Louise. Do you know, I was looking there thinking, Jesus, Lucas Mora looks like the greatest player that's ever played football. And then I realized, well, like, you know, it's <laughs> it's essentially, remember Christian Eriksen getting to play in the second half in the World Cup playoff against Ireland <laughs> when Martin O'Neill ripped out the midfield in a bid to chase the game and Christian Eriksen was just sitting there in front of two slow centre-halves doing whatever the hell he wanted for the rest of the match with no midfield to, to tackle him. That was essentially Lucas Moura tonight. There was no midfielder to put him under any pressure and he was loving it. Yeah, and he was loving it, and he's going to take advantage of it as well because Lucas Mora is a brilliant footballer who tries his heart out. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the player that you want in the number ten position, somebody who's class and tries really hard. And he, t- he took advantage of Dougie going missing in action tonight without a shadow of a doubt. Going down, Wesley, and <laughs> go- going up. I only have one going up. Maybe Kanza can go up too, but I'm not I'm not feeling too given. Going up, Matt Target. I think it's um I think it says a lot and it sort of shows the the topsy turvy nature of the season or how it's completely turned on its head. That Matt Target, the guy that we once would have would have questioned his his heart and his stones and his bite, is now the only one showing that when Villa are going terribly. Like he is the one that we're looking at who's who's being consistent and he's getting stuck in and he's trying to make something happen, albeit on the periphery as well, but he's the one of the better players on the periphery. He's got some nice delivery. And he's, he's just doing well. He's a good left back, now surrounded by a shit team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He used to be a good team with a shit left back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh yeah, and like, yeah, he, show, he is showing a lot of bite, and he's showing a lot of intelligence as well with when he's using the bite. Yeah. Uh, there was that one where Heuberg in the corner tries to nick it around him, and he, Matt Target knows exactly what he's doing, and then he's through on goal until Heuberg rugby tackles him, and that just summed him up tonight. Just clever, aggressive, good left back. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Who is Josie Mourinho kidding, thinking he needs an extra 30 seconds at halftime? <laughs> we, we've all seen the Amazon documentary. We all knew anyway. Like, <laughs> the depth of Josie Mourinho's team talks do not require 15 minutes or 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Him rushing down the tunnel uh, is full of nobody. He's not offering anything that he needs like there, there's nothing trenchant about anything Josie Mourinho does anymore. I don't know if anybody's seen the the film Glory Road, but it's uh basically it's about this um college in America who started I think it's in Texas, and they started like you know rounding up all these players from all over, and they get 
a lot of black players in this this college in this area never had black players before so it's very controversial and they're playing in an all-white league essentially but um you go on this amazing run and they're in the final and the opposition manager is his legend you know he's won everything in the game and it comes to halftime or it comes to like i think it's like you know maybe a timeout towards the end of the match and the fresh coach he brought in all these black players you know there's loads of ideas loads of enthusiasm loads of energy and it cuts over to you know it cuts over to the other and obviously they're on the brink of doing something special cuts over to the other team talking the the old guy just has nothing else to say anymore. And he's just saying, come on, you're a good team. Come on. Come on, go out there. Come on. That is Josie Mourinho. He's got nothing to offer but say, come on, get out there, try harder, be cunts. And the only person listening now is, is Harry Kane. Mourinho does not need to get into the dressing room early. He's got nothing to do. Like The, the less time he spends in the dressing room, the more effective a manager he'd be. <laughs> yeah. Jose Mourinho is a bore. He's a regressive, boring, grumpy arsehole. He's a man that started a game with Bale, Mora, Son and Kane in his front four and started it on the back foot against <laughs> fucking Arsenal. An Arsenal team that had just dropped their only and best player and their captain. A team that demands going after and getting in their faces. It's not just football that's passing by, it's fucking world. <laughs> the, the world has just moved on from Jose Mourinho, and he's still flailing around in the early 2000s, railing against it. He used to be lauded for his man management skills, his motivational ability, his ability to get the best out of a group of players. But once players became that little bit more individualistic, that little bit more sensitive, he was fucked. And don't get me wrong, I prefer footballers with a bit more mental fortitude. Who respond to criticism with a fuck you, I'll show you how good I am. Yeah. But not everyone is like that. As it turns out, different people need to be treated differently to get the best out of them. Mourinho never figured out that calling someone shit doesn't just work across the board. But he's fucking tried. He spent two years telling the world, not just telling the players, telling the world that Rashford and Shaw and Martial, the two most expensive teenagers in the world at the time, we're shite. It's been two years, Jose. It's not working. You're just being a cunt. But most importantly, it's not working. What is it Einstein said? The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Even after he lost his job, his next job was on Sky. And the first game is Man United against Spurs. And he couldn't resist digging. He couldn't resist. The opportunity to remind the world that it wasn't his fault. His players were shite. Rashford won a penalty chopping inside. Mourinho couldn't understand it. Because everyone knows that's what all Marcus wants to do. Harry Maguire is going to have to learn to cover for Luke Shaw a lot. According to Mourinho. That was all really fucking entertaining. We all know why it was entertaining. Because that's what Mourinho is now. He's a one-liner. He's a clown. He's a TV personality masquerading as a football manager. That's it. Like it's like Roy Keane. If he was a manager now, it was ah Roy, what are you doing? You know, great TV personality, but you know, you take that with the with the knowledge that he doesn't really know too much of what he's talking about. But you respect where he's been and what he's done, and you respect how he's able to articulate his opinion and stand up for it and entertain people. And Mourinho is a good pundit for all those reasons as well. Not because of 
any football knowledge, but you know, because he's an Egypt and he can be a lovable Egypt, but not when he's a a football manager. Just either like you know we <laughs> I was gonna say a football manager, either calling people shit or telling them to be cunts. We talked about Harry Kane at the top of the show. Harry Kane is just following Josie Mourinho's orders. Be a cunt. And Harry Kane's going out there and doing exactly that. It's like, why can we put the blame on Harry Kane's door? He's just doing exactly what his manager asks him. He's being a cunt. While everybody else is trying to figure out how to win matches, Mourinho's... He's like um, he's like John Kreese in Cobra Kai, thinking that there's some war coming between these teenagers. There's no war. The war's over. Mourinho's there just trying to rage up a battle that's never going to happen. Like the fact that you've given Harry Kane, the old German soldier in the 1940s, out there. He was just following orders. <laughs> uh, last one. How did Gareth Southgate's little brain get it right about Ollie Watkins? Like, it's not it's, it's not difficult to see. Like he, he obviously has a personal vendetta against Jack Grealish. We don't know what the reason is there, but... It can't. It cannot be that he doesn't understand that Jack Grealish is brilliant at football. It couldn't have been that. It's obviously something personal, and he made the right choice. He went with Ollie Watkins over over Patrick Bamford. Uh, he made a lot of fucking stupid choices as well. I mean, Eric Dyer is still in the England squad, and Ezri Konza isn't. Is Eric Dyer in the squad? Eric Dyer's in the squad. There's three right backs. That There's is her own Mings. There's Harry Maguire. Ezra Kahn's is not there. He didn't even get a mention. I mean, he, he dropped Trent Alexander-Arnold. But he, he couldn't he couldn't find couldn't find the place for Ezra Kanza. Kieran Trippier's in the squad. Like this is like he's talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold not you know not having a great season. Eric <laughs> Kieran Trippier hasn't had a season. He's been suspended for betting the whole time. For most of it, I think he's played five games or something like that. And Trent Alexander-Arnold also offers you something completely different. Like, what what, what would he need Kieran Trippier in there for? And like, Kyle Walker's there. I know he plays... He, he can play in the right side of the centre-backs as well. But, like, he, he's your he's your Kieran Trippier, only far better. You know, and, and he got Reese James. Is he better than Trent Alexander-Arnold? I did not know that Eric Dyer was in the squad. Like, he doesn't, doesn't even make the Spurs team anymore. Of course he's in the squad. Eric Dyer couldn't possibly be dropped. Sure, he can play in two positions. <laughs> well, like it's it's just it's absolute it's absolute stupidity. It's it's ap- it's baffling. Ezri Konza's the best defender, best English defender in the league. He has to be in the team. Like th- there's this thing whenever a player is playing for a club like Aston Villa, they have to pay their dues. They have to be incredible for three seasons in the Premier League. They're like it, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't stand up to any sort of reasoning. Like, Callum Hudson-Odoi was straight into the England team. He came on as a sub for Chelsea and he was straight into the England squad. And at the same time, Gareth Southgate's using the fact that Jack Grealish hasn't played in the Premier League yet as an excuse for not picking him. Neither has Hudson-Odoi. He doesn't play for Chelsea. But this is the thing. Edric Conza will have to be brilliant for a season and a half until Gareth Southgate can pretend he trusts him. Yeah, Jesse Lingard has to be alright for six games and he's straight in and that's that's what annoys me though it's like (laughs) as much as I want to go all in on digging out Gareth Southgate he got the Watkins thing right 
and I don't want people to think that he just makes he just makes wholesale wrong changes. The walking thing is so clearly right, and it's so obvious. I was actually ready to go, expecting Watkins not to be in it, expecting Southgate to have missed it, and he didn't. Like he couldn't really, right? And he's just he's just a different player. He offers so much more. But I read um. And this sums it all up, and I know we've we've talked about this before, but I read a piece from Jack Pitbrook about Jack Grealish and how close he came to signing for Spurs when when Daniel Levy's dicking about cost him a fortune <laughs> and, a, and a really good manager in Mauricio Pochettino. Um, he said, and I don't even know, see if he if he realizes that he's he's saying this. If Grealish had went to Spurs, you know, he'd be in the England setup a lot sooner. <laughs> there is something so fundamentally flawed about that thinking that like Grealish it would be an, he's right it would be an England set up a lot sooner he was basically saying his progression might have been quicker because he would have been playing at that level not the England level but the Premier League for a bit longer Champions League and playing in the England squad but Grealish as we know and as we said all along was good enough to be in that English squad and just like Kanza, Kanza will have to wait to either get a big move or, as you say, a year and a half to, to until he's like you know being sought after by all the big clubs, pays dues, then he'll have to wait. Like Grealish had to wait as well for no other reason, but for the fact that Gareth Southgate couldn't make a, an assessment on a player on his own. Yeah, like the the argument doesn't make any sense to say that he has like if he was in the Spurs squad, why he's not he's not gonna be any better a footballer like he, Jack Grealish is the player that he is. That's it. And the only really like, the Ollie Watkins thing, yeah, it's great, it's laudable and all, but I mean, it's Tammy Abraham got injured, so did Danny Yings, Mason Greenwood's fallen out of favour because he did a bit of laughing gas <laughs> and went out went out in the tear as an eighteen year old with an older eighteen year old. I mean, Phil Foden's back in the squad, but Mason Greenwood's not. <laughs> like the, these players are these players are gone now, and that's why Ollie Watkins got in. But you know, this doesn't. This doesn't vindicate Gareth Southgate's ability to understand the player. I mean, Eric Dyer, Harry Maguire, Tyrone Mings, and Connor Cody are all in the England squad. He's got three right backs in there, and Ezri Konza can't make it. That's inexplicable. Thankfully, we've got a international break. I've never looked forward to an international break more, just to get Villa off my screen and to get them out of my head for two weeks. So that's all we have time for. Um, enjoy the the two week break from Villa. It's sweet relief, and hopefully, when we come back, Jack Grealish may be ready for the next game. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I've got a better tone to sign off these podcasts with. I'll see you later. All the best. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.